is in chapter 1. Judges in chapter 1. We're going to now read the beginning of the decline. Uh, Well, I think properly probably the term is corruption, but uh, that is, I've kept toying with the title tonight, face decline, face corruption, but it's going to be face corruption, I believe. So Joshua is dead, okay, and there is no singular person uh, to replace him as of yet to lead the children of Israel like Moses to Joshua, Joshua to now the responsibility, the national attack uh, upon the land of Canaan is done. Now it's up to each tribe to do uh, their part in their area. And uh, we're going to begin to see the, uh, well, what happens when people stop having faith or begin to lessen their faith. Let's just put it that way. So, Let's go to verse, um, <clears throat> sorry, every time we sing Christ is all I need, I, can, I, I'm, I just picture my parents singing it and it messes me up for a little bit. So not that I want you to quit singing it. I love, love the song. So, All right, <clears throat> verse 16, verse 16. Judges 1, verse 16. And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lieth in the south of Arid. And they went and dwelt among the people. So the, Moses' father-in-law, those, that whole group of people just attached themselves to the children of Israel. Verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they slew the Canaanite that inhabited Zeph- Zephath and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ashkelon with the coast thereof, and Ekron with the coast thereof. And the Lord was with Judah. Amen. This is good. Now remember, if we were to go back um, uh, back down to verses 1 and 2, the children of Israel said, who shall go out first? And verse 2, the Lord says, Judah will go out first, and Judah did. So Judah is the strong, the strong tribe right now. Uh, I mean, they're a tribe seemingly of faith. The Lord is with them. This is a good thing. Okay? So th- there's a varied description here. So pay attention to the wording. Okay? Verse 19. The Lord was with Judah. That's a good thing. Amen? And he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain. Listen, listen to the verbiage here. But could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. If you remember also, one of the promises of God is that He wasn't just going to wipe the whole country clean immediately. He said, little by little. He said, I'm going to drive them out before you, little by little. In other words, slowly they're going to walk through and slowly get rid of them all. It's a promise to keep getting rid of them, and that they were supposed to also keep going after that. But we find that Judah here has an issue that says they could not. Okay. This may be a faith problem. It may not be. It may be just that God's left them there specifically. Okay, verse 20. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin did not 
Is that different than could not? Yes, there's a difference. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem unto this day, the day of the writing of the book of Judges. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw men come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all his family. And the man went, out, went into the land of the Hittites and built a city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name, which is the name thereof unto this day. Now, now we're going to get a whole bunch of different terms here. Neither did. Okay? So Benjamin did not. But Joseph seems to, the house of Joseph seems to do well. Okay? But now we've got verse 27. Neither did, connecting back to the Benjamin did not. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and her towns, nor Tianak and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibliam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong, okay, now they should be able to do something, that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them, among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor of Akzeb, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Bethanath. But he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Bethanath became tributaries unto them. Verse 34, we have another change. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres, in, in Ajalon, and in Shealbim. Yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed. Now here's where, again, now Joseph failing, so that they became tributaries. In other words, they did not drive them out. And the coast of the Amorites was from, going, from the going up of Akrabim, from the rock, and upward. Amen. Father, we thank you for the for the lesson uh, this evening. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be aware and attentive, and we'll thank you for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, you all know I'm not a big one on alliteration, but this one just kind of fell into place, so I left it be. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I was so tempted to change one of the words on purpose, just so it was not alliterated. but that just seemed a little bit too much, Tim, <laughs> too much rebellion. But So this is faith's corruption, okay? Faith's corruption. And this is, this is 
the, uh, the pattern of habit that we're going to find constantly repeated, and this is just the beginning, um, but this pattern, this de- pattern of decline is going to be constantly repeated through the book of Judges. Now, the one thing we don't have in this passage that we will get in much of the rest of the book of Judges is when God steps in and, and provides a judge and chastens his people and brings them back to himself and he, uh, they repent and, and it's restored. We don't have that circle. What we have right here is how that cycle begins, okay? It's how, how we get into the spot where we start walking into the cycle of I'm good with God and things are wonderful till we get to a point where God has to smack us on the backside, if you will, and wake us up and help us realize we have left God and it's time for us to restore our relationship with the Lord and repent and return to him and he restores that relationship and restores all those wonderful things that can be. This is the beginning of that, okay, the beginning. So I'm going to call it faith's corruption because when we entered into the land of Canaan with Joseph, man, what do we got? We've got God throwing rocks down on the enemy and killing more people than Israel does. We've got We've got Israel able to run for like 63 miles. I mean, the armies are running for 63 miles and then have a massive pitched battle after running for 63 miles. I mean, there's just, uh, and then multiple battles, multiple. I mean, they're just wiping people out. They're driving people out of the land. They're wiping out those. Now, it's interesting. The ultimate goal is to have the land free of the Canaanites, okay? Now, everybody says, well, you know, God, God's totally for, you know, the, uh, the, he just totally for genocide. Well, no, because if you remember the, the testimony of Rahab, that they knew, listen, the children of Canaan knew God was on the side of the Israelites. And what could they have done? Packed up and ran or converted. Instead, they dug their heels in and said, they knew it was God doing it. That's the testimony of Rahab. They knew God was doing it, and instead they dug in their heels and said, God ain't going to tell us what to do. If you're not going to run away from God, you're not going to get right with God, then there's going to be some issues. There was a guy here with the tribe of Joseph who had the opportunity to run, and he did. And that would have been a good thing, okay? Why? Because this was the land that God promised them. We can talk about that. I don't want to spend too much time there, but this is what I want us to get into. This is the promised land. Joshua has passed away, the, the leader, okay? Now, I don't know if you all, I'm, I'm sure everyone here does, but when a great leader of faith, someone is recognized as a believer, a good believer, a strong believer, and they are, they're a person who is charging out in front, and then that person is taken away, they're, they are called to their reward in heaven, it leaves a big hole. Or maybe they're just called away from where we are. Maybe they're called away to someplace different. There's a hole left. I, I mean, it's, uh, I, I forget who was it, somebody at some point, they were talking about all these, these old great men that you know, we look back at and they've written commentaries and they said stuff like, all the, all the big guns are gone, won't you be a little gun for Jesus? You know. Well, I don't believe all that stuff. I think God raises up men when he needs them and uh, but, but anyways, there is truth. We have had, in our, and I think each one of us in our life, we have had someone who has greatly influ- influenced us, whether that be a male or female, but they are a person of faith, and they're strong, 
and they, they encourage us. And their faith encourage us, encourages us to use faith and have faith and be faithful people. And then that person is gone, and it, it hurts. Suddenly we realize, oh, you mean I can't, I can't just follow in the wake of their strong faith. I've got to develop my own. Suddenly we find ourselves having to lift some faith muscles. This is what I would call a faith crisis. A faith crisis is when suddenly the, the realm of our faith is changed. And I don't mean crisis in a bad way because crisis is a normal thing in life. Crisis can happen anytime. It's when, it's when you are called upon to do something in response to what has happened. A faith crisis. You know, again, look, be like, uh, I think of the people in my, in my uh, like for one time we, we lost a pastor who had, who had messed up and had to be removed. That was a faith crisis because as a little kid I looked up to him. We had one time where, uh, well, like my dad, my dad passing away. Or James Epps. I'll, did you know James Epps, Brother Epps? Brother Epps, uh, just a, a great man of faith that was a retired preacher at Berean. And he passed away. And I'm telling you, he left a hole. Because he's, he's that one where, I, you know, I tell you, I would come down to the altar to pray. I mean, I was just Lord working on me about something. And Brother Epps had come down and kneel next to me and start praying. And I just felt like I should shut up. Because if he was praying and I was hearing him, God was listening to him. And he didn't have time for me. God was, he was getting a hold of God. He was talking. To, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm being a little facetious. But when Brother Epps prayed, you just be quiet because God was listening to Brother Epps. He was a man of faith, and he, he was an encouragement. And when those men are gone, it helps us realize we, we are now responsible to be the next generation of faith leaders. And no one's exempt from that. You can't always follow in the footsteps of someone else. Whether it be, whether it be in your family or in a church setting or in a community setting, sometime, somewhere, you're going to be in a faith crisis where your faith is going to be challenged to grow or increase. Amen. This is a, a, a good place to be. So he's gone. There's no new example to follow. There's no new Joshua mighty leader. Now Caleb is there, but Caleb seems to be a local leader. Caleb seems to be more just kind of an impact in the tribe of Judah and maybe for his family. Not a tribal, not a whole nationwide leader. So we reached a faith crisis. And what we find is, uh, the next step being is that Judah, they, they find out from the Lord, we're the ones who are supposed to go out and take our land. Okay, let's go do it. They even invite Simeon along, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't understand why some commentators have an issue with that. Nowhere does the Bible condemn it. I think it's a good thing for brothers to go to, go to war together. That's a good thing. And so Judah calls their brother and says, let's go. Why don't you come with me and we'll... You help me and then I'll help you. And I mean, it's encouragement. Judah goes out. They start plastering through people. And Judah runs into a problem. Now, this should not shock us. This shouldn't shock us. Because this is like totally normal. When you're growing in your Christian life and you're, you know, you're, you're starting to see victory. Some of you, some of you may be more newly saved or can think back to when you were newly saved. And man, little victories all the time. Like this growth and that growth and this growth. And suddenly run into a problem, Judah does, that they can't just run 63 miles all night, haul out their sword and start swinging, and the whole thing's won. Is everybody here? It doesn't say Judah did not drive out the problem. It says they could not. And it says around it, quite 
clearly the Lord was with them. What does that mean? It means they just ran into a problem that required them maybe to grow a little bit and tackle again. Is everybody here? Uh, it's, it's like when I was uh, playing basketball, learning how to play basketball, and the, the coach walked me. I loved. I could, I could beat everybody up and, up and back on the court. I was faster than all the seniors. As a ninth grader, I could outrun them all. I could outlast them all. But when I went to shoot, it ain't happening. Okay. It was, it was a mess. Finally, my coach got sick of me, sick of me just missing all the time in scrimmage and in some of the games. Couldn't be trustworthy to put in for a... And he said, okay, Tim, come here. You're sitting right here, and everybody else is out there having fun practicing, and all I'm doing is shot after shot after shot after shot after shot after shot after shot. And I wasn't allowed to move out until I got 10 in a row of this one, and he put me back on a 10 in a row of another one. Until I could at least be trustworthy and maybe hit a few shots when I'm put in there as a ninth grader to sub in for some of the seniors. So you know what I'm saying? And I had to grow. I got pulled out of the main thing because I, had a, I could not hit the shot. So I had to grow. I had to spend some time learning how to hit the shot. You know what? Judah ran into a problem that was a little too big for them. Anybody ever had that happen to you? You believe God. You trust in God. You're walking with God. Your, your relationship with the Lord is good. And suddenly, suddenly you run into a, a faith problem that just doesn't you know, disappear because you spent some time in prayer before God. Is everybody here? Yeah, it happens to all of us. Judah runs into a problem that's now their faith is being challenged. And there's a, there's a, there's a response to that. And I'm not, I'm not looking, I'm not going to look forward or back. I'm just telling you that most likely Judah could have grown and challenged and fought and spent some time with the Lord. And this, this enemy could have been driven out. But right here, even with the Lord with them, their faith was challenged. You know, sometimes that happens. Sometimes, God, sometimes God's, God leaves things in our life to help us or to remind us or to teach us that it's not just about, you know, I just swing a sword and God does all this great stuff. No, sometimes it, it, it's a thing that makes us turn our face back to God and say, okay, God, I missed something on this one. What is it that you need from me or want me to do or what is it that you want to do that I'm missing? Where's, where does my faith need to increase? Where does my faith need to become stronger? What is, the, what is the place where I need to grow? Amen. Perhaps the Lord might be challenging someone to, to go beyond just now just reading your Bible, but maybe do something simple. Like instead of just reading a chapter a day, how about you read it through? Read the whole Bible. The whole Bible. <gasps> Five chapters a day, thereabouts. Five, maybe six chapters a day, you can have the whole Bible read in about six months. Whole Bible. I just started mine a couple days ago. I challenge you to do it with me. Six month, six month Bible plan. Get on U version. Thomas Road Baptist Church has a six month Bible plan. I think I've read fifteen chapters, maybe sixteen chapters. Uh, three days. You can do it. Five chapters a day. Some of you spend more time playing nothingness and looking at Facebook and scrolling through Marketplace and Craigslist and whatever else, or Pinterest, way more time doing that than it would take you to read 15 chapters of the Bible in three days. So by connect the dots, you can do this. Maybe the Lord's saying, I'd like you to do more than just you know, read a little bit. I'd like you to read a little bit more. Or maybe the Lord's saying, you're saying, oh, I, I can read the Bible through. That's not a problem. Maybe he's calling on you to say, well, maybe it's time to start studying a little bit. 
Well, studying what? Well, do you have a faith challenge? Maybe that would be a good place to stop and say, I'm having a problem here in my life. This is an area where I feel like the devil has a stronghold or sin has a stronghold in my life, and I can't beat it. Doesn't mean that victory is not promised, but right now you're unable to beat it. Well, what would be the thing to do? I wonder what God says about this enemy. Because he has said it. It's in here. The answer's here for you. Amen. So faith is challenged. So Judah reaches a spot. And Judah now, if we're going to look at a leader, the best leader we have, because assigned by God, would be the tribe of Judah seems to be the leader of the pack. They're going to go out there, man, and look at them. It talks about all the victories they get. They tear apart this group. They tear apart that group. They drive out this group. They dwell over here. And then they run into a wall. Whoop. Whoops. What's going on here? They can't do it. Okay? So their faith is challenged. So what happens is, <clears throat> little Benjamin, and I, I don't, I'm not, I, I want to be careful how far I go here, but we started off with could not. And the very next thing that happens is a did not. Now, I, I'm going to draw a little bit from human experience here, okay? I'm not going to directly say it's in the text. But it is kind of a common human thing to see someone else, well, they didn't do it. Well, they couldn't do it. I probably can't either. Is everybody here? We always use someone else's failure as an excuse for our own. A few of you said, yeah, they're earlier, but you get the picture. Using it as an excuse for our own. Benjamin did not. It doesn't say Benjamin could not. It doesn't say Benjamin uh, should not. It says they did not drive out. And then we'll skip over the look at the, the, the Joseph thing for now because eventually we find out they did not also over in verse 35. But we got them over in verse 27. Neither did Manasseh, neither did Ephraim, neither did Zebulun, neither did Asher, neither did Naphtali. None of these are saying that they could not. Judah could not. Maybe with some growth and training and maybe seeking the Lord's face, finding out how they should, how they could, God would have led them. But that doesn't say that these says these did not. We went from just a faith crisis and faith challenge. Now we have faith that's just compromised. This faith is just completely compromised. Why didn't they? Why did they not? The only answer we can give is that they have, they have lost their faith in God. They allowed the, the, the Judah finding a problem to affect their own belief in their ability to, to do their, the thing that they're supposed to do, to drive out the enemy. And instead of trusting in God, they allow the circumstances around them to dictate their ability. Well, we're not as big as Judah. How are we going to do this? We're not as strong as Judah. How are we going to do this? And instead of going after it, they just kind of went, eh. We're comfortable. It's okay. Well, you know, they're not a problem anymore. It's not like they're fighting us anymore. You know, that, why should we go after it and keep killing them? I mean, we pretty much beat them. They're all, you know, after Joshua, nobody wants to lift their head up and actually, you know, shake their fist at Israel for a while. They're fine. They're quiet. Why bother? Everybody follow me along? Neither did. Neither did. So we go from a faith crisis, which happens, that's a normal part of life. Faith being challenged, also normal part of life, to faith being compromised. Wait a sec, what? Because God told them, I will be with you. 
Notice that the only time it says, there's twice it says in here, the Lord was with. It says the Lord was with Judah and the Lord was with Joseph. And the first little bit we find out about Joseph is they're doing great. What we find is later down the road, they allowed something they should not have. Faith crisis, faith challenged, faith compromised. They basically, I don't know how else to say it, it looks to me like they gave up in the face of trouble. They decided to make peace with their trouble. Let me put it this way. Well, it's just me. That's just who I am. Sound familiar? Well, you know, I, they're just there. That's just, part of, that's just part of living here. It's the problem we have to face. They're just there, you know. We just, you know, can't, don't feel like we can really take care of that issue, so we're just going to have to learn to live with it. What? Was that what God's directive was to the children of Israel, to live with it? No, God's directive was to finish the job, keep going after it. Yes, it might have taken a little longer. Maybe it, maybe it meant fighting longer than they wanted to. Maybe it meant teaching their kids to fight when they don't really want them to have to fight. You know, well, now you're going to have to keep, just have to keep fighting. God promised we're going to keep having victory, but you're going to have to keep swinging the sword. Well, I don't want, I'd like to, you know, I don't know. You know, we, we get worn out. And then finally, we end up with a, I mean, a whole shift. To get down here to verse 34, one of the smaller tribes, verse 34, and the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain. Well, now we have faith cornered. That, that, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? Faith cornered. It's because it is an oxymoron. Dan, Dan was beyond now just having their faith challenged a little bit. They totally lost faith in God, and they just got flat scared of the enemy. They, they essentially looked at the enemy the same way Peter looked at the waves and water when he was walking on the water. He started looking around going, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm going to die out here. You hear that? They took their eyes off the God and the promises of God, and they looked at the enemy, and they looked, and they looked at the enemy and decided, they're too big for us. Can I just tell you a little secret? The enemy has never been an enemy that we have been able to face on our own. Never. You couldn't get saved on your own? You think you're going to live a Christian life on your own? Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Without, without faith, it's pointless. And Dan totally lost their faith, it seems like, and they ended up getting beat on by the very people God said, you can beat them. Just go after it. Trust me. Trust my word. Go after it. And so faith, instead of being just in crisis or just maybe challenged to grow a little bit, is now beyond compromise. And now instead of being a conqueror, the people of faith are being conquered. It's just a, a, it's a backwards, messed up thing. So let me ask you a question. Did God's ability change anywhere in the story? Come on, answer me. No. Did God's promise change anywhere in the story? Does God's word suddenly become less effective because there's a few problems? No. So God's not the factor that changed here. So what's the factor that changed? It's the heart of the people. It's the faith of the people who trust in God. They have lost their faith. Now, how did that happen? I just want, I want you to pause that, ponder that question a little bit. How did that happen? Because I'm going to tell you, 
The exact answer is not always the same for everybody. But ultimately, it's all the same for everybody. There's, there's some different pathways to get here, but eventually it, the, the result is a loss of faith in God and His Word. And it could be several things. How about, I'm just sick of fighting. I'm sick of fighting. I, I'll never, oh my goodness, when uh, we, the church in Springfield decided we're going to put all new carpet in. And so, you know, those things that people have to do. And, well, we've got it coming. And so, the guys, we all get together. You know, it's a wood floor. It's not concrete, which is lovely if it's concrete. Brother Zane and I know about carpet on concrete. That's just a lot of fun. But we started ripping up all the carpet, and we're ripping up big, huge parts out of the, you know, we moved all the pews, and it's so much fun to rip all that carpet out, you know, these big, wide things. Two, three guys grab it. And we got up, we got up to the, to the, alt, to the platform, and we start pulling off the platform and it got a little harder. And you know what I found out is that that glue on the carpet, it, it never really hardens. I mean, you know, after like decades and decades and decades and decades. But this stuff been on there, I think, 20 or 30 years. And the glue was still kind of soft. And so the, the further we got up that way, the harder it got. So instead of being like over there, we get two or three guys, we get we're 20, 30 foot sections, man, ripping it all the way out. Now we're up here and we're down to... One of the guys used to work in carpets having to teach us how to uh, cut a strip of about two or three feet and cut a little handle in the carpet and get two or three guys and go, and we got all the way up there and we only had about six feet of carpet left. So six feet between this part and the wall. And we were down to strips this wide. And we were about, we were done with it. I'm not kidding. The whole group, we had about, I think, 20, 25 guys we were sick of pulling carpet. I mean, hands were raw. We were running out of energy. We were sitting over there, and you see a guy, he's like, and the carpet's going nowhere. I mean, done. We're done. We only have six feet left because it got, uh, it got really hard. And at some point, somebody figured out, if we don't do it now, when's it going to get done? And stepped up and started Yanking, just, you know, second wind, getting mad at the thing. And just, I mean, inch by ever-loving inch. <laughs> that last six foot came up. It took us as long to do the last six feet as it did the whole rest of the auditorium. Finally got it out. But somebody finally had to get up and say, we might as well finish the job. But you know what? We were done. Has anybody ever been there? I'm just sick of fighting. Been down to the altar for about the hundredth time for the same old sin. I'm just sick of fighting. I might as well just accept this is who I am. Wait, what? Come on. The preacher says I can have victory, but, well, you know, I do in most areas, but not this one. So, oh well. Excuse me? Hello? Is that what God promised? Really quiet, so I must be tromping on some good ground here. Must have a pretty good plow deep right here. So, I'm not, I listen, I understand what I'm saying. I'm a human too. I have to deal with the same stuff. But you know what happens when you quit using faith to attack the enemies, no matter how hard they are. No matter, no matter how hard 
Maybe it takes a spot where my faith needs to grow so that I can go back after that same enemy. When I quit fighting, eventually, you know what happens? The thing that I'm trying to fight against, the sin in my life that I'm trying to fight against, is not going to sit still. The devil just doesn't sit back and go, well, we fought that one to a draw. Let me try some other person. The devil's not going to walk off. The influence of the world just doesn't suddenly stop. I sure have a trouble, you know, just hypothetically, I have trouble with, you know, lust. There's always, there's always a, and I, lust is a big term, so don't automatically think one thing, okay? I always get a nice car, but I want that car. So I'm driving my nice car, and I drive and see another nice car. Ooh, that'd be nice. I should try to step up. I need, I need to try, you know what I'm saying? Is everybody here? Connect the dots. And, and you find yourself, well, it's just who I am. I always want something better. Well, you can't be satisfied. You can't trust God with faith that what you have is what he wants you to have. Well, you know, I've, I keep responding in anger when I know I shouldn't. I guess it's just who I am. I, I'll just have to spend most of my life just apologizing because, you know, it's just always who I'm going to be. That, that's not faith. You know what happens to those things that we, that we stop fighting? They start gaining ground back. They're going to fight back. And eventually you're going to find yourself cornered by the very thing. Listen, cornered by the very thing that God says you can beat. You can have victory over it. You're going to find yourself in the corner saying, listen, by these very words, I guess God just doesn't want to help me with this. People say this kind of stuff. I guess, you know, maybe God, I don't know, maybe God intends for me to have to deal with this the rest of my life. You know, it's my, it's my thorn in the flesh. Somehow I'm really pretty sure that Paul's thorn in the flesh wasn't a sin issue. Now, there's a difference between a temptation issue and a sin issue. Only it was a sin issue. Does anybody here have, anybody here have goat heads in their yard? What happens if you don't fight the goat heads? He ain't just kidding. They, they take over. You don't fight the goat heads. They definitely gonna fight you, and they hurt. <laughs> Those stinking things. How many stupid bike tires, brother Andy? You have with, with goat heads all the time, fixing bike tires all the time, fixing Dakota's foot when it left a hole this big in the bottom of his foot from one of those stupid goat heads. You gotta fight those things, man. You don't fight them. They're, listen, sin is no different. Goatheads, that's a good name for a goathead. You pick it up, it looks just like a little demon looking at you. Got the horns and the beard and the whole bit. I mean, it, that's exactly what it looks like. That's exactly how the devil functions. Don't ever think that, listen, <clears throat> what does the Bible say about our enemy? As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's going to do that until he's thrown in hell. He's not going to take a break. The devil's not going to take a break. He's never going to take a break. And the moment you start looking at your sin and the problems of your faith life and you say, eh, 
You know, I might as well just learn to live with it, is the moment you begin to lose and slide back. What do we call that? Sliding back. That was it. And the thing that you're fighting that you're supposed to have victory over is going to become, is going to become your, not just your worst enemy, it's going, to become, it's, it's going to be the victor over you. How does this happen? Let me, let me give you a New Testament progression. We're going to look at several different verses, just a New Testament progression, just little different, different passages in the New Testament that kind of lead us to some of this here. So turn, first of all, to James 4.4. 4. James chapter 4. Matter of fact, maybe we should just start in verse 1. It's probably a good spot. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. We've left faith. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not, listen, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. It's something that makes, it's the enmity that makes someone an enemy. Okay? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Consider that a minute. It's just saying friendship. Friendship of the world. Does that mean we're not supposed to make friends of lost people? No, that's not what that's saying at all. Uh, you, you should very definitely be friendly to lost people. You should very definitely try to seek out ways to, ways to influence people with the gospel. It's talking about the system of the world. The influence of the world. The things of the world. The lusts of the world. The actions of the world. The loves of the world. Amen? The... the the things that most of our country lost people love and use and wonder ought to be an automatic for us on the wrong side and has to earn its chance to get to the right side. Not because of the people, but because the world system. Listen, if you're going to be a friend of the world's system, you're an enemy of God. You catch that? Listen, well, I'm just being a friend friendly. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm not trying to fight against it. I don't want to seem like a, you know, a curmudgeon here. Uh, some of you understand because now we're reaching, now we're reaching points in our nation where some of you are like, well now hold on, this is far enough. Wait, you know, what's this stuff about a man not being a man and a woman not being a woman? Well, that's far enough. No, it was far enough a long time ago, on issues that were well beyond whether a man is a man and a woman is a woman. But now we're realizing it's come to a point where, listen, the system of the world has pushed us back into a corner where at one time in this country, we had those things pushed into a corner. By the way, this is not new. Whoever's going to tell you that this whole trance stuff is new, it's not new. It's been around for millennia. This, is, this was like old news in Rome. The stuff we're seeing today is quite was normal in Rome and parts of Greece. This is not new. Don't ever let people tell you this is all brand new. Oh, go read some history. This is not new. Sin has been sin 
Why do you think Romans says that even the women left the natural use and burned in their lust towards one another? Doesn't sound like it's new to me. (laughs) It's been around for a while. You you hear what I'm saying? The moment we, listen, are are we supposed to win the world? Yes. Are we supposed to love the people in the world? Yes. Are we supposed to win the people in the world? Yes. But not the things that they do. Not their actions and activities and their loves. No, th- listen, careful. Friendship of the world is... What, why do you think the preacher preaches against stuff you like? <laughs> why do you think the preacher preaches against stuff he likes? <laughs> There's a reason that I don't do stuff other people does, and you don't do stuff other people does. Why? Because at some point, there has to be a line drawn in the sand. I'm not going this far. I'm stopping here. I'm not going to do that. Why? It looks too much like friendship with the world. And I don't want to be the enemy of God. Hello? Near as I can tell, there's nothing wrong with this. So it just starts with just friendship. Just friendship. Well, you know, I'm sick of killing these people. I might as well let them know it's okay. I I want you to stop and think about this. The The activities that you enjoy in the world. Well, maybe they're not sin. Okay, great. What value are they going to be when you're in heaven? Are you going to look back and say, I am so glad I did. Hello? Come on, I want you to think about that. Amen. Friendship with the world. Turn back just a couple pages to James chapter 1. This is kind of the end of this chapter, and I'm not going to go, I've already preached through the book of James. But let's just read the last verse in chapter 1 real quick. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and listen, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Unspotted from the world. Pretty sure everyone here knows what that means. Uh, my, my mom, there was something about uh, whenever we ate Mexican, it was a guarantee. I don't know what it was. It was just, I mean, it was almost funny. But my mom was going to have salsa somewhere. She's going to, I mean, she could be as careful as all get out. Wear a napkin covering from here out to here. She'd get done with a meal and there'd be a piece of red somewhere on, on her top. It got spotted because she was interacting with it. I, I, um, one of the things I don't like, I, I've been parking back in here, but I have to walk across a mud spot back in there. So I get in, and I'm, I'm looking down at my pants. I'm going, and I got a brush back in my office, and I brush off the dirt because I don't like my pants to be, to be spotted with the dirt. I want it to look nice and blue. That's why we have lint rollers. It's half the time, I think, why ladies wear makeup because they think that spots are a bad thing. You know what I'm saying? Unspotted. What does that mean? That I got close enough for it to spot me. I wasn't right smack in the middle of it. But I got close enough for it to, uh, to leave an imprint, leave a little, little bitty mark on me. And here's, here's, here's what James says, pure religion is to keep yourself unspotted from that. Whew, that's pretty tight. So first it's just friendship. I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to allow it. But then all of a sudden... I'm close enough now that the 
actions and attitudes and the loves of the world are now just kind of, just in little bitty tidbits showing up in my life. Go to 1 John 2. Wrong way. Sorry, if you're in James, you've got to turn right, not left. 1 John chapter 2. Go down to verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, you, you see where we just, the leap we just took? Was just being friendly, just allowing it, to now it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of just sort of getting on me, to now I just love it. And here's what, here's what John says, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Love not the world. And I was, again, it's not talking about the lost people. It doesn't mean like you need to look at all lost people and go, oh, I'm not supposed to love you. <laughs> no, you have, to, you have to love people. Listen, Jesus, for God so loved the world. He's not talking about the world system there. He's talking about the people in the world. Why? Because it says that whosoever. That's people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever. Come on now. Jesus loves the people in the world as we ought to. They need the gospel. Jesus Christ died for those people. But the world's system and the world's loves and the world's action and the things in the world, John tells us quite clearly here, don't love that. Don't make that your love, your heart's desire. No, this is not a good thing. Well, I mean, who was it? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you love the world, there's no room for the love of the Father. So we, you see the progression? Well, I'm just going to allow it a little bit. Listen, when we get into the book of Judges, we're going to see this progression constantly. Well, we're just, you know, we're just, I'm going to put up with it. It's, it's not a big deal, you know. This is just who I am. I'll just have to learn to live with it until, uh, you know, oh, wow, now it's, it's kind of like showing up. People are starting to see this issue, and now I'm just in love with it. And now the love of the Father is not even an evident thing in my life. I just want you to ask you a question. If you were to look at your life in the last week, you look at your life, honestly, in the last week. I'm not talking love from the Father. I'm talking about love of the Father in you expressed outward. Has it been shown in the last week? Can you see it in the last week? Or is, is it more evident that I love the things of the world? And that's been evident. Come on now, this is not a hard question. This is a very simple question to answer, and I think every person in the room can answer it on your own heart. That the love, my love of the Father, the love of the Father to others, rather, has been, I, I can see it here, I can see it here, I can see it here. Or the love of the things in the world. I can see it here, I can see it here, I can see it here. Which one do you see? So we go from just friendship, you know, just allow it to kind of be there, to being affected by it, to now I'm just in love with it. Listen, you know what happens after that? Romans 12, 2. You turn there if you want. But I think everybody knows what it is. And be not conformed to this world. Romans 12. Let's go look at it. Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world. The moment, listen, this slide, you know what happens? If you're not doing anything, if you're not physically trying to, con- physically, if you're not constantly seeking faith and seeking God's will and watching to be cautious, you are being conformed then by the world. You are being conformed. It is happening. 
It's now gone to more than just a friendship, and I love it, but I'm not going to do any sin until now. Now the thoughts of the world, the philosophies of the world, the actions of the world, the things that the world says, it's not that big a deal. Uh, be careful. When those words come up in your heart and your mind, you ought to immediately stop and, in shock and take a step back and say, what did I just say and what was I talking about? Because that's, that's, that's carnal language. It's not a big deal. I'm not saying there's not places where even as believers we, we over fuss about stuff but that's, that's carnal language carnal language always wants the rules to be bendable and breakable and you know why does it have to be such a big deal come on Joshua why do we got to kill them all why do we got to drive them all out why do we got to be so mean why can't we just you know maybe shove them over in the corner and give them a little place to live you know why can't we do that well what does the testimony say only in Gaza, Gath and Ashdod there remained Let's see, Geza, Gath, and Ashdod, were they ever trouble later in the Israelites' life? Who came out of Geza? Do anybody remember? Samson went down to where? Geza. And that's where his downfall was. David had to face Goliath of Gath. Ezra and Nehemiah had to face the Ashdodites. Because somewhere back in here, Maybe Joshua, maybe the tribes of Israel said, not that big a deal. I'm sick of fighting. Do we really have to make this sharp line between us and the activities of the world? Be not conformed to this world. Now there's another step. And by God's grace... It's an interesting how the Lord puts it. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11. Um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Correct? Because of sin, correct? Much of the sin, actually, that we're seeing in the United States today, a lot of the same stuff, okay? Um, Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Lot, evidently, was someone who believed in God, was a God believer, but he had allowed this stuff to happen in his life. Listen, did God punish Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah? No. He pulled him out. But Lot felt the effects. Now I want you to look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a very interesting verse here. So go down, go down to verse... Um, go down to verse... Uh, we're talking, this is kind of the end of the Lord's Supper part, okay? Talking about those that would eat and drink unworthily. In other words, they, they have not examined themselves and make sure that they're right before God. And it says in verse 31, or verse 30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves to separate ourselves, it's kind of interesting, we should not be judged, punished. For when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. You see that? So the next step, the next step of you can be, you know, you can have friendship with the world, then you can be spotted by the world, then you can begin to love the world, then you can be conformed by the world. The next step is, you can be condemned with the world, but God. 
God doesn't let his children be condemned with the world. Instead, he chastises his children, hopefully that they will respond in repentance, amen, and come back to a belief and faith in Christ. Amen. That's the hope. Now, I'm not sure about Lot, whether he actually really repented, because his children ended up being some of the greatest enemies of the children of Israel. Now, thank the Lord, God still had grace for them. And people like Ruth came out of that crew also. But listen, we, if, if we have to pay attention to our Christian life. This is, this is the cycle of Christian life right here. We run into a faith crisis. Some great thing has happened, some great loss. And now it's up to us to grow as a believer. And our faith becomes challenged to, to grow, to rise to the occasion, to look at a sin in our life and go attack it. To, 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 and figure out how God, what does God's word say about how I can be a victor here? What does God's word say about how I can be an overcomer here? And, we, and instead of keeping on the fight, instead of keeping, keeping our life constantly seeking after the Lord and trying to grow, we get sick of the fight. We get sick of always having to look different from everyone else. We get sick of losing friends. Amen. Because I won't go there and I won't do that. And while we're completely nice to them, they no, they're no longer want to be anything around us. We get sick of those things. You know what? I'm just sick always feeling alone. I'm always sick. This is very real. I'm sick of feeling like I'm always on the other side of everything. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. I, you know, all the people at work, they all go over here, and I can't go with them over there. I won't go with them over there. And instead, we finally start compromising. Why do I fight this? We start logicizing. How am I ever going to win them if I don't, you know, go, go do some stuff with them? How am I ever going to draw them over to our side if I don't go over to their side? Wait, what? Because the way we help a guy from stopping drinking is go to the bar with them, right? The way we help people stop drugs is to go take drugs with them, Right? We know that's not true, but why is it that when it comes to our Christianity, that's the first thing that goes when we start getting sick of the fight is our Christianity. We start making excuses for doing all the stuff the world is doing. Amen. And you know what happens after a while? That faith that we had towards God eventually finds out, I can't understand why God's not answering my prayer anymore. I can't understand why suddenly I'm having trouble with all these sins again, and I can't seem to beat them anymore, and they've got me pushed into a corner, and I feel like, you know... I'm, I'm verge of depression. I don't get it. What's going on? I, I thought this whole thing was real. Listen, thank the Lord God brings in chastisement to bring us back to that. And I wish I could run into the nice side of the story, except I can tell you this. God is trustworthy. Has, has God changed since Jesus Christ died on the cross? Has, his, has this word lost any truth and power? Has the promise of God that Christians can be victors and overcomers over their own sin, has that suddenly disappeared from Romans? So if it's not God's problem, and it's not God's promise's problem, where's the problem? It's here. It's here. And that is fixable. Amen. That's fixable. By what? Faith. Faith. Just believe God. And follow that belief. Listen, faith always implies action. 
If there's no action, there's no faith. I believe that, okay. You believe this chair works? Okay, great, come and sit on it. Also, you don't believe, I believe God, okay, then why aren't you tackling your sin? Well, also you don't have, well, yeah, no, you don't. Amen, this is, this is as practical as it gets. Faith gets into a crisis. How, do, how does faith become corrupt? It gets into a crisis, which is normal. It gets challenged, which is normal. And then it gets compromised because it's sick of being challenged. And eventually it gets cornered and faith kind of disappears from a believer's life. It doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. God is still God. He is still good. He is still strong. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. He still promises where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. There is no faith hole that you have in your life that cannot be fixed. Amen. You know where it starts? Repentance. Simple as that. Realize that what you've been doing is foolish. And it's time to live by faith again. Amen. Faith, the corruption of faith. Father, Lord, I would ask that you would help us, each of us as believers, to look at our life. And instead of providing excuses and arguments 